It's the TEH podcast, episode number 143. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So I hear that there's been some stuff going on in the, now I'll admit I've mistakenly called it the Mac world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of course you're Mac most, but um, about the iPhone. So uh, I, surprisingly, I have not seen a lot of news about it in the news feeds that I watch, mm. making me wonder, um, was it a significant event? Was there some cool stuff or uh, was it a non-event? No, I mean, it was, it was as cool as it is every year. Uh, two things happened, really. One was that um, new hardware was released. So, you know, the iPhone 13 was announced, the whole line, uh, some new iPads, and um and mainly that's it new apple watch too and then they also uh the new version of ios uh, was released then uh on monday so last week was the hardware announcements and uh monday this week was the software that came out so even though the hardware isn't due to arrive in people's hands till friday there's stuff to do because there's all the new software i actually did order a new iphone 13 pro and a new, of course you I, did. I, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how many devices you were going to get. Uh, but. <laughs> well, and I got an iPad Mini too. So uh -huh. remember, we talked before about me getting the large iPad Pro and finding that suddenly I didn't use my iPad as much because it was too big to carry around. Right. Um, so I went. I decided I was going to do the opposite way, and sure enough, here is a nice-looking Mac or iPad Mini, uh, the opposite direction from it, smaller than the iPad I use right now, mm -hmm. and I ordered one and. I'll, pick, I'll be picking all that stuff up on Friday morning. There's a lot of new hardware to play with. Um, and then iOS 15 is out, and iOS 15 has all kinds of new features in it. And, uh, you know, I think the vast majority work on the existing iPhones. I've got an iPhone 11 Pro Max now. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, most of the iPhone, um, most of the iOS stuff works across all these iPhones. In the past, they've had a lot of, like, here's 50 new features and 20 of them, you need the latest iPhone to work. Right. Um, that's not really the case here. Almost everything works on older iPhones and the software. So I've already been playing with some of the stuff. There's some interesting things in, in iOS 15 and iPad OS 15, a lot of geekier stuff, I think, um, you know, a lot uh, in the past, Apple does a lot of stuff that's like, here's, you know, a lot of usability stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, features to like get things done and all. There's a lot of stuff for people like you and me, like, for instance, security wise, uh, like one of the things you can do is you can set a recovery contact now uh, for your Apple ID. Um, so I could assign, say, to my wife that she's the recovery contact. And if for some reason, I wasn't able to get into my account, like say I completely lost the password somehow, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I ended up down to one last device that had the two-factor thing set, and somehow I lost that one. Mm -hmm. Then I'd be stuck. I'd have to go through a recovery process with Apple. But with a recovery contact send, uh, set, I would be able to go and say, oh, uh, tell my recovery contact about this. And apparently, uh, she'll get some information about you know, how you know, the two-factor code, or maybe it's just a, a, a dialogue saying, you know, this person is trying to get back into their account. You know, if this is really them, say okay or whatever. 
Interesting, because uh, so that's, yeah. that's that's surprising because that seems like a pretty fundamental recovery mechanism for well most of the accounts that I've got. I mean, my Apple account hasn't had that all along. No, you'd have to go through. I mean, you still could have tons of other stuff, ways to recover, and there is a recovery process through Apple. Of course, that is like a time delayed. You know, you have to talk to somebody, and there's a there's credit card and information, all that stuff, you know, stuff that somebody trying to break into your account, is not going to make themselves that vulnerable mm-hmm. um, to being discovered to do. But, you know, this just makes it, uh, I guess it creates a human backup code as opposed to a, right. like a, you know, physical printed backup right. code. <laughs> um, another thing is like, uh, let's see, um, oh, you know, you could do, you know, the two-factor authentication, it can now be saved inside of the password manager that's built in. So, you know, we went pretty fast, I think, over the last few years from the only way to get your second factor code is either like using, say, Google Authenticator or some dedicated right. app to, oh, now things like one password can have that built into it. And now the default, you know, Safari password thing can do it, um, which is nice. So you could set that up uh, and then two factor is easier than ever to deal with. Um, so more people hopefully will use it. Uh, what else is, uh, there's all sorts of, uh, little things, um, that are kind of geeky. Uh, let's see, uh, you know, the tabs and Safari there's tab groups now, which I understand Chrome people have had for a while. Um, there's, uh, uh, let's see, oh, when you power, you can power off your iPhone now, uh, like a thief might do when they steal it from you, mm-hmm. but it's still going to snitch on its location for 24 hours. <laughs> Good. So, so that's uh yeah, it's kind of a neat uh neat thing, you know. Um stuff like that. Uh what was I, I've actually done two videos now. We'll talk, you know, I'll link to one that'll be my blatant self-promotion here. Um there's actually some cool things like throughout system-wide now, images. If there's text in an image, you can actually select it and copy it. Oh, cool. Yep. Um and that's happening more and more in various places. I like yeah, that yeah. a lot. It is cool. And uh, there's uh, something called visual lookup, which is actually kind of cool. Uh, you can go to your photos, not new photos, photos that you've had forever. And now all of a sudden, if like it's a photo of a flower, there's a little thing and it says first, very, very not impressive. In a very not impressive way, it says, this is a plant. <laughs> and you're like, thanks for that information. <laughs> but then you like notice that that is, is actually like something you can click on or tap on. Uh-huh. And it says, oh, this is, and it gives you the actual like type of plant it is. And you're like, really? Oh, I've had that growing in my backyard this whole time. Um, and it's fairly accurate, especially with plants for some reason. Um, not as accurate with dogs. It thought my American foxhound was an English pointer. Mm-hmm. Granted, if you look at pictures of both of those, <laughs> you right. would see why. The difference and is subtle, yes. <laughs> I'm sure it would get corgi in a heartbeat, right? Yeah, um, but which one? Right. There's oh, two, yeah. there's two, like, there's it, two reads. So yeah. maybe I should, I should, yeah. Maybe when you're talking later, I'll, I'll grab uh, your photo from your, from your zoom uh, thing here. And I'll try to put that in and see if it tells <laughs> me um, then. Um, it, but it also does it for landmarks, which is really interesting. So you can go back to a picture of something you took like a castle in Europe or whatever, and it will say landmark and you tap that and it will tell you what it is cool. and then take you to more information. And it also does it. This is cool for paintings. 
So I have a few pictures of paintings from, you know, years ago when I was in Paris, and I just spent days and days in art museums. Mm-hmm. There are some that are like, you know, no photography, which you expect is kind of like the thing. And then there's some that some really well-known museums that are like, no, photography is okay. Take pictures of our old paintings. And you're like, really? Okay. Um, and uh, I, so I had some and I used it on it. And I was like, well, it knows what these paintings are. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. And then you could go and get information about them at all. Um, so that was neat. Uh, let's see. Oh, also more security geeky stuff. There's the new private relay feature, which is kind of like a VPN. It's kind of like VPN light. <laughs> it doesn't do some of the fancy stuff that people like VPNs to do, like pretend you're in Germany so you can watch a German TV show. Right. Um, it does though provide the level of protection for like encrypting your uh, data and masking your IP address. So it it kind of like for most people it will do for a VPN. Right. Um, and you can turn that on and then something called hide my email, which lets you generate an infinite number of fake email addresses that you could then mm-hmm. use for all sorts of things. And then emails forwarded to you over those fake. So emails. is it, um, do they have like some custom domain that they're just generating random it, numbers on or, or what's the, yeah, well, just, I think it, it's something like private.icloud.com. Okay. You know, so they're using like, you know, an extra level layer there. So, and that's just, and then it's when you ask for one, it, gets like a couple random words and a right. number and you know a bunch of stuff you don't get to choose what they are but it just throws this random stuff and in, into into it and then you could copy and paste that and sign up for some sketchy thing that you know you don't want them to know your real email address and and then the cool thing is uh i i did try it out and mm-hmm. when you get the email uh it does show you know in the um, email app that you're using it shows two and that fake email address right which means filtering is easy you know it's not the kind of thing where iCloud just taking that and then converting that to your email address and sending it to you oh it, i see yeah so i can leaving filter. the to address but they're delivering it to yeah. your email address yeah so you can you can so, filter out if somebody misuses an email address you give them based on what you've just described i would be concerned that mm-hmm. someone might think that there's more anonymity involved than there really is and yeah. I have to, I have to say that you know, at some point, um, Apple is keeping a mapping of the uh, random email address yeah. to your email address, so they know where to send the replies. Right. Oh yeah, um, definitely. And that's the kind of a thing that potentially could be um, uh, subject to a warrant. Oh, uh, I definitely. Legal action. I definitely. Oh yeah, no, and it's not meant so, for that. I understand that it's not meant it's for meant that, for spam. but <laughs> it's I, meant for spam and tracking. But I do, not, I do believe. Okay. I mean, I, one of the questions that I get fairly frequently it's it's one of the you know popular articles on the site is how to send anonymous email, and it's harder than you think. And this oh, sure. seems like it's anonymous email, but it's just not quite. Oh yeah, no. Um, and I'm just concerned that people will you know make a make a much larger assumption than is warranted. But, uh, but it's a cool be, feature. I agree for the good. for the yeah. spam side of things. It's, it's a very cool feature. Yeah, I guess you could give it out if you're if you meet somebody and I mean I, I don't know who is going out to bars and meeting uh, people and then giving them their email address. Not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I suppose if you wanted to, you, you could do that and then give them, here's an email address. But uh, 
you know, I would use it for signing up for something like, um, I don't know. Oh, you're, oh, we're giving away a free, you know, dinner at this restaurant, leave your email address at the whatever. And then, oh, okay, sure. And just generate one of these things and write that down. And then, and then, Hey, if I win, I win. And if not, uh, if they try to spam me, I could just, uh, do you uh, have the option of uh, disabling a specific Yeah, you have the option address? of disabling. It's a little unclear um, if you, the ones you create yourself, if you could disable them easily. It looks like possibly you can. Maybe it's just a, like a, it's not completely clear in the early uh, first version of this. Right. But you could definitely, if you wanted to, just set a rule and say, you know, uh, no, right. I'm trying to avoid the rules. One. I'm just wondering if, you know, yeah. you can just, you know. Uh, I saw that for some of them and not for others. I'm not sure why. Okay. So cool feature um, though. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see what else is there. I'm just looking at my list here to see if there's any other really cool geeky stuff. Uh system-wide translation is kind of neat. Um and uh and yeah, you know, other other things that you know, you actually in the past you've mentioned how you like to use uh kind of voice recordings to you know record, you know, yes. if you're driving, yes. record and then you you talk for a while, then you get back to the office and right. it's like, what was that idea I was I came up with? Well, so there is a built-in app in iOS called Voice Memos, and it's actually it's on the Mac too, and it's all like linked up by cloud. So mm-hmm. you could have for a long time now, theoretically, driven in the car, talked for 10 minutes about an idea on your right. iPhone, get back, listen to it on your Mac. Um the one of the problems with that is that sometimes if you record for 10 minutes, you're not talking for 10 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you are talking for 10 minutes, it's kind of like, okay, I'm recording. I better just keep saying things. Um, there's a new feature that I love called uh, skip silence. And um, so you could record for 10 minutes, but you don't have to feel the need to be talking for 10 minutes. Got it. You could just say, I've got this idea. I want to talk about it as I drive and turn it on 10 minutes. And if, if you're silent for a whole minute while you think of what, you know, part of it is, it's fine. Then you get back and you turn on skip silence for that voice memo. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly your 10 minute recording is one minute and 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> and with just exactly what you said in it yep. without the silence. Yep. And to me, it's like, wow, that's, that's what I want. That's like, so, now that makes it useful. I, I like that. It makes it, it makes it useful, but I still wouldn't use it compared to uh, what I am using, which is Google recorder on they're actually i think it's only available on the pixel devices um it does almost what you see what you're saying except what it's doing is it's actually doing voice to text and uh so when i you know if i record something in the car and it gets uploaded to the cloud uh then i come back to my pc and i bring it up uh, in the google recorder website then uh, yes, I could listen to the whole thing if I wanted to, but I don't have to because alongside the recording is yeah. a transcript of what I've said, and that I mean by definition, if there's no if there's silence, there's nothing to be uh, to be transcribed. I'd love to see that in a future version of voice memos have the voice to text in there. Um, so it's really know. handy. I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's 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 the only thing that I'm missing uh, from my ideal voice memo scenario. Uh, Actually, there are two. One is, and I haven't come up with this consistently, it will sometimes pause the app that's playing sound in order for me to make my recording. 
right? So if I'm like listening to a podcast, it'll pause the podcast as soon mm. as I hit record. And then I can say whatever I'm going to say. And as soon as I say stop and save, then the podcast resumes. Sometimes there are other times where I hit record and all of a sudden it's recording and transcribing whatever I have on playing, right? Which yeah. is actually kind of a useful thing in itself, but it's not what I'm wanting at that point in time. And the other one is that I still don't have a hands-free option or some kind of, of um, I shouldn't say hands-free, eyes-free option. What I oh. desperately want is the ability to make this happen without looking, without looking away from the road. Right. I right. want to, I just want to be able to do something like shake my phone, which I tried at one point or, you know, push a button that doesn't exist anymore because we don't do buttons anymore. Uh, you know, those kinds of things would be helpful, but you can uh, definitely do that on the iPhone. I mean, the, I, I, I can't remember if Siri, there is a Siri command to start a voice memo natively, but if there is definitely, you can do it as part of shortcuts and shortcuts be, can be activated with just voice. Interesting. And I actually have a shortcut. Uh, on my phone that just tap the one button and it goes to the voice members app and starts recording immediately. So I could assign that to a Siri command if I wanted to, right. but I'm wonder I'm wondering if I just ask Siri, if Siri would just start recording. Um, I, I also, I guess, uh, you know, looking at the hardware from the hardware side of things, um, it's going to be neat getting this new iPhone. Uh, one thing I'm doing is I'm going down in size. I've never gone down in size before. <laughs> I've basically gone up. To, you know, every time they offer a bigger, bigger screen, I go go bigger. Um, most of the reason for that is because in the past, Apple has included the best cameras only with the largest size. Oh, right. They didn't do that this time. The cameras are identical between the uh, iPhone 13 Pro and iPhone 13 Pro Max. So that means I still get the best camera. And I, you know, I thought about it and really it's just screen size and battery size are the only two differences and battery size doesn't bother me because I'm not one of those people that like drains my battery, you know, right. going through the day and screen size. It's, it's, it's not, it's not compelling enough of a feature. I'd rather almost have something that fits easier into my pockets, easier to bike or walk with or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see when I get uh, the phone, if I care about yeah, that, I still feel that way in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the camera, um, cameras are nice. It's got a 3X zoom, uh, optical zoom in one. It's got the ability to do macro photography uh, down to two centimeters, um, which so it could be some interesting uh, photography options there. Mm -hmm. um, it also, you know, since I didn't get an iPhone 12, I was on the iPhone 11. This would be my first 5G iPhone. And I do live in the city. I live among a sea of 5G towers. <laughs> uh, that I just pass every other block basically around my neighborhoods. They've been right. all over the place. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if I could, you know, you know, if I notice a difference, I mean, most of the time I use my iPhone, I'm on Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi uh, wi anyway, but it'll be interesting to see if there's a difference. Um, also, um, you know, uh, just, uh, I, I kind of think there is going to be a difference because a, a new feature that they built into it, into iOS 15, is in the past, you could have an override for Wi-Fi over, uh, over mobile, where you could say favor Wi-Fi. Yes. You know, if, if you're, you know, instead of this, uh, you actually could do the opposite with 5G. Oh, favor mobile? <laughs> you could say favor, if you have a 5G connection, favor that over Wi-Fi. Right. So I'm like, really? 
And I, well, I suppose, I suppose depending on the Wi-Fi, if yeah, your Wi-Fi be... isn't that good and, or you're sharing it or you've got whatever it is, like your, you know, your, you do, your parents have, and you've, you know, yes. you've got that. Maybe it's like, Hey, five, five is faster. Um, so, so I'm, I'm looking forward to testing that out at least. I'm looking um, we'll forward see. to oh, that report too. Yeah. And there's also video stuff. There's, you know, they, they, they went into a lot of uh, detail about the video features where it focuses while you're recording video. So, you know, if, for instance, if there's, uh, you know, two subjects uh, in a, in a scene and you're, and one's further away than the other, mm -hmm. um, it will focus on the one it thinks is talking and we'll then focus on the other one, even with a glance. So if one person's talking and if they stop talking and glance over to the other person, it will notice that while shooting and refocus on the person. Interesting. Which is, yeah, I know it's just kind of, it, and they show that happening and it's like, well, I'm going to test that out. That, I hope there's a slider that lets you say how sensitive you want it to be. Cause if it, you know, I could see that one over, Mm -hmm. um, overreaching and just going back and forth like crazy, depending on well, you the could style do manual. Of conversation. You, so you could do it. You could turn that off and do do it manually. So you could actually be holding the phone and actually be tapping where you want it to focus. Right. Um, you don't have to do the automatic thing, but that's pretty cool. And it's not a feature on release, but um, it will at some point later this year shoot ProRes video, which is you know. Not it's not H two sixty four compressed. It's you know actually the stuff you would bring into Final Cut um, to mm. edit. Mm -hmm. So you know it's one of the differences between shooting mobile and shooting uh, like you know with a fancy camera is while well, you can shoot ProRes with a fancy camera, um, and you know that's what you want if you're making TV or movies. Well, apparently the iPhone's going to be able to do ProRes. Cool. Um, which is one of the reasons I got the 256 gig version because yes. you have to you have to get that one. <laughs> the, the, 100, bigger. Yep. the 128 gig version they actually are not going to allow to shoot ProRes. Wow. Probably because well, if you figure a certain portion of that is taken over by the system, and then a certain portion is stuff that people just have, you know, apps and photos and all that. Yep. Yep. So you know, if you're going to shoot ProRes and you've got that low end version, it's like what you're going to shoot for 28 seconds and there you go, you're full. You know, so. <laughs> Um, so they're limiting it to, so I want it. it's not like I'm going to go out and try to shoot motion pictures or something with it. Uh, but I want to at least have the ability to play with that and see what it's like. So, cool. so I got that. I'd be 4k 30 frames per second ProRes video on a, on a phone. I know. Amazing yeah. stuff. Cool. It, so yeah, that's a, that's an interesting list. No, no real, you know, knock it out of the park blockbusters, but just a nice collection of really interesting features, both in the phone and the OS upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does have a new processor, you know, and all that. So it's got all that stuff and uh, they're, they're all X, uh, you know, high definition OLED displays and, mm -hmm. you know, all, a lot of stuff like that, that is, um, that's really cool. Uh, you know, that's just kind of under the hood. So I mean, it may not be killer features now, but, you know, one day there'll be some cool game, you know, yes. three years from now that it's like, this will be the earliest phone that could play it, you know, it needs to have that, that power. If only I knew a game developer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't develop those kinds of games that need, uh, that need right. that kind of power. Yeah. Um, so I've got just some random stuff today. Uh, mm -hmm. The the while you were talking, 
the change to uh, the authentication recovery mechanism, the ability to add an email address, hey, that surprises me, but that it wasn't there before. But uh, it reminded me that Microsoft announced, I think it was last week, that you now have the option of removing your password from your Microsoft account. So you can only do what we would refer to then as a passwordless login. And I thought that was really fascinating. And it dawned on me, what it really boils down to is we've we've done this, this migration. I think you mentioned it earlier from you know, passwords to passwords plus another factor. And now we take away the passwords so that we're left only with the other factor. So we've gone from one factor to two factor back to one factor, but we've changed the factor that you need to have in order to sign in. And it makes a fair amount of sense to me. I haven't done it to my account yet. I'll probably do it with one of my test accounts here sometime soon and record the process. But the point is that you know, if you've got like a YubiKey, that's all you need to log in. There is no password. Or you've got a Google Authenticator. That's all you need to log in. There is no password. Uh, I just thought that that was a fascinating approach. And I'll be interested to see if other major vendors take it on as well. I do know that there already are online services that don't store passwords. They just don't use passwords. The biggest one that I'm aware of is medium.com. They allow you to sign in either using uh, third parties like Google or whatever. Uh, you've seen that, you know, log in with Google or log in with Microsoft or log in with something else. But they do allow you to log in with email, but there's no password. What they do is when you when you provide your email address, they email you a link. Just like one form of two-factor authentication, except in this case, it's the only factor. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Um, the other thing is that when we, when Microsoft announced Windows 11, gosh, I think it's been over a month now. It's been a couple of months. They, it was very controversial in the sense that they were going to require something called a TPM uh, on the hardware in the PCs that in order to run Windows 11. TPM is a trusted platform module. Uh, it's been referred to by Wikipedia as a secure crypto processor. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a fancy random number generator that's actually hardware-based randomness as opposed to uh, software random simulation, which has issues. It's a secure store for cryptographic keys. It apparently has its own either unique hash or unique key. So each machine already has a unique identifier buried in the TPM and a bunch of other stuff that, that to be honest, I haven't really dove, dove into too deeply just because I was more interested in just getting something working. The controversy is that not everybody's machine has a TPM. Not everybody's machine has a TPM at the required version. It's TPM 2.0 is the required version. And there are older machines out there that have 1.2. There is a tool that Microsoft provided that would let you, you could run and just sort of see if your machine met the requirements to run Windows 11. And like 90% of the failures were people saying, oh my gosh, I don't have a TPM. I, what do, does this mean this machine will not run Windows 11? And Microsoft has clamped down on that. 
uh, or even doubled down on it in one case, uh, they, they're basically saying, yes, you need TPM 2.0. Uh, and people are, of course, crying because they think they're going to have to go out and buy new hardware to do it. Uh, the My experience was interesting. Uh, for another reason, which I'll talk about in a minute, I decided I really needed to understand if my machines were going to support Windows 11. I fired up the compatibility checker on my Dell laptop. It's a three-year-old machine, and it just sort of said, yeah, sure. This machine's fine. You've got everything you need. Uh, when Windows 11 is available, you can get it as an upgrade for free, which is great. That's That actually kind of surprised me uh, just because I've been having trouble on my main machine, which is a newer machine, the machine that I'm using right now. Uh, it's a not quite two-year-old system from uh, Puget Systems here in the Seattle area that mm -hmm. I've been very, very happy with. Uh, but I ran the compatibility checker and it said, uh-uh. Nope, you don't have TPM. You don't have TPM 2.0. You don't have TPM, period. And I scratched my head. I said, wait a minute. This is a newer machine. It should work. It should have all the bells and whistles. TPM has been around in one form. It was originally uh, agreed upon back in 2009. So it's been around for like 12 years. Uh, certainly machines uh, that have been getting built since that time are getting it incorporated onto the motherboards. There are apparently government re regulations that say that, you know, from a certain time, machines that the government would purchase needed a TPM of some sort. So it'd be foolish to think that machines weren't coming out. Very, very long story short, um, I ended up having to enable it in the uh, BIOS, the UEFI BIOS. And that wasn't enough. I did that a month ago and it still didn't work. Uh, there's another magical setting that you also have to enable in the BIOS. And then all of a sudden, uh, sure enough, my, my primary desktop machine passed the configuration check and it'll be able to run Windows 11. As you can imagine, running Windows 11 is really, really important for me, not as my primary operating system, which I'm sure will happen eventually, but with Windows 11 supposedly hitting the street next month, uh, well ahead of their originally uh, announced release date, uh, I'm going to have to start fielding questions and playing with it and just seeing what it's all about. Which leads me to the second issue that really drove the point home for me. And that is that there was a news story yesterday or the day before, I think it's in Bleeping Computer, that uh, Oracle's VirtualBox cannot handle TPM, which means that Oracle's VirtualBox will not be able to, or currently is not able to, actually host a Windows 11 in a VM. Now, Microsoft had originally said, yeah, that's okay. You know what? Virtual machines are different. We won't enforce that requirement for virtual machines under these conditions, yada, yada. And this is where I said they doubled down on it because the big the reason for the news story was the fact that they said, yeah, no, never mind. You need a TPM. You need TPM 2.0 in all of your virtual machines. So what that meant is that the folks out at uh, VirtualBox are now scrambling to implement the feature because it is apparently something that you can implement as kind of a pass-through. The reason I know that is because the article also listed some uh, alternative virtualization technologies that did support TPM. And that's what I need, right? I mean, I'm not going to switch to Windows 11 myself anytime soon, but I absolutely need virtual machines running it so that I can test it and play with it and answer questions about it. 
So one of the alternatives, there are a couple, one of them is uh, uh, VMware, which is not free. Uh, VMware's Workstation Pro will support it. Uh, Parallels, of all things, will support it, but Parallels doesn't doesn't run on Windows. It only allows you to run Windows on Macs these days, which doesn't help me. And uh, and Hyper-V. Hyper-V, as it turns out, is the built-in virtual machine software that comes with Windows in Windows Pro, which I haven't played with before. And again, to make what continues to be a long story somewhat shorter, uh, as we speak, I actually have a Hyper-V virtual machine running uh, Windows 10 Enterprise, of all things, in which I've run the compatibility checker. And after a couple of more, yeah, you got to turn this on, you got to set this setting, and you got to do this to your host machine. Uh, all of the stars aligned, and the TPM requirement has been met for a virtual machine. So I'm happy about that. What I'm expecting, because of the fact that this was such a long and convoluted path to get here, um, is that a lot of people are going to run into this problem. Uh, a lot of people, in my case, the, the TPM issue is apparently because I'm running an AMD processor on my host machine. So there's a different way, a couple of different settings that need to be uh, adjusted. I think it's different, if not just works on an Intel processor. Uh, again, I'm not sure I don't have that here. And it might be the reason that my laptop just worked. Uh, but like I said, all of the other stars that have to align to make things work, I suspect that this will continue to be somewhat of a support nightmare. And uh, that's you know kind of what you and I do for a living uh, is uh, kind of help people with some of their support nightmares. So yeah. I thought that uh, that was an interesting story to tell and let people know about that. Uh, they should not jump to the conclusion that their machine doesn't support TPM or that they somehow need a new machine. Uh, certainly, the conspiracy folk are all out there saying that, yes, this is Microsoft colluding with all the hardware manufacturers to force us all to buy new PCs. Uh, no, no, not the, not the case at all. Uh, and uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to playing at least with Windows 11 uh, as soon as it gets released. My approach to it is that I have not installed and don't plan to install any of the pre-release copies of Windows 11. I plan to go through it um, on release uh, when it actually comes out for real uh, and just start with that and basically be a user and just experience the path along, you know, experience the path, experience right. the pain, the pain along with everybody else and see how that goes. Certainly a lot of buzz uh, over uh, Windows, uh, Windows 11. Windows 13, um, yes. 13, yeah. <laughs> Soon enough. But we buzz over that too. Uh, so the question uh, I had for you, I mean, yeah. you know, we've got the, the TPM is, is I think, yeah. new on everybody's radar, even though it's in a lot of machines. A lot of us just didn't know that it was a thing. Uh, Macs, Macs have something similar, right? Well, yeah. So Macs have what's called the T2 chip which is their, the security chip. And I actually don't, you know, it's one of the areas I, I don't pay much attention to because I'm mostly what I do is software-based, right? I help people out software-wise mm -hmm. uh, how to get things done. And the T2 chip is something that kind of sits there quietly. And if you're, you could be a, a Mac user that gets stuff done all day long on your Mac mm -hmm. and you don't have to know what the T2 chip is. You don't have to know it exists, right? right. Um 
but it is a security chip. It does do some similar things. Matter of fact, looking at you, just uh, you saying you wanted to talk about it today, I just read up some stuff. And right. some of the bullet list items of what it does compared to the thing you were just talking about, you know, are almost identical. You know, the encryption and random number generator and all that stuff. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, okay. So there's some similar things. Apple has actually done some other interesting things with the T2 chip. Because what it essentially is, is a system on a chip, it even has its own RAM and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a really low power system. It's basically, I mean, 10 years ago, it would have been like a you know fantastic main computer, you know, <laughs> but today it's, it's not, but there are things that it takes care of that um, it, it, the main processor and the rest of your computer doesn't have to bother with. Like for instance, the ability to voice activate Siri requires your microphone to be constantly constantly listening for you to say those magic words right. that activate. Well, that would really suck if your processor always had to have a task that was basically listening to the microphone. But what Apple does is put that on the T2 chip. The T2 chip actually gets video and audio first as part of security. So the idea being that if you don't want your microphone to be on, uh, you turn it off and it's, that's turned off, you know, first in the, in that security chip. So any kind of malware that says, ah, I'm going to listen in on the microphone anyway, mm-hmm. is it going to get anything because it never gets to your, the actual computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's stopped there. But that also means that the T2 chip has access to the microphone and could say, Hey, I'll listen for the magic words. I'll just do that all the time. And, mm. And your computer could sit there basically not spending any processing power at all. And the right. T2 chip says, I got plenty of time. I'm not doing anything. And I will listen for those words. And as soon as I hear them, I'll start telling you, you know, that they're talking to you and want you to do things. Um, same thing with some video encryption stuff. Uh, it, it, not encryption. That's wrong. Compression. Compression um, or decryption? Is it like DRM? It, well, no, no, no. I'm talking about just uh, compression, not encryption. Okay. okay. So, so it's just a compression and all it could, you know, from the camera and all and everything, it could handle all of that mm-hmm. and not bother the processor with it since it's nice. got like access to those things. And there's a bunch of other things, uh, the, the touch ID fingerprint scanning, uh, you know, it says, you know, it keeps the, it keeps the fingerprint data there. So if, you know, I guess if you were to be hacked, and you know you, you you could look all over the system, all over your storage. You're not going to find the fingerprint data. Right. It's all stored on the T2 chip, right? And so a lot, it does a lot of just miscellaneous, interesting things. It's become this kind of you know secure any security function or any function that is has to be kind of ongoing just takes place on this T2 chip. It's really fascinating. Um, I, th- I wonder if the the requirement and being you know hardline about the requirement in, in Windows mm-hmm. is Microsoft moving in a similar direction, because I know that mm-hmm. uh, if you've got a TPM, I believe they do things like store your hard disk encryption key on it. Yep, yep, uh, those kinds of things. So that uh, and for all I know, it's involved in the in the decryption and maybe offloads because it too is another. Uh, like I said, it's a a secure crypto processor. My my sense is. Uh, that really means it's, as you said, a system on a chip. There's more going on there than just a CPU. Sure. I, I'm but, sure that's exactly, uh, you know, Microsoft is planning to do those kinds of things with it. I, you know, it's yeah. just becoming kind of like a, the modern computer includes 
right. this security chip now. Yep. And by requiring it in Windows 11, they could remove all the workarounds that um, have to do something different less securely if there isn't a if, if there isn't a TPM. Now they can right. just, go, just make the assumption. Right. So. It's part of it's part of basic personal computer system architecture yep. at this point. Now the other thing that's somewhat uh, uh, I'll say also controversial mm-hmm. is that I have run across headlines that say the TPM isn't as secure as they would have you believe, mm-hmm. which I also find interesting. Again, I haven't dove into that too deeply simply because I'm more interested in just making sure I can get to the point where whether it's good or not, it's working. Uh, but that'll be something that we'll also have to explore in the future is just how secure, how much security is it really adding? Where are its weak points? And where will the uh, the bad guys find out, uh, you know, prove us wrong? <laughs> Yeah, and they're already. I mean, there was a couple of years ago, you know, vulnerability that had to be patched with the T2 chip. I I think part of the idea is if you keep it simple, you know, on this chip, you, mm-hmm. you can be you get closer to per, you know better security. Right. Then the rest of the system has to deal with you know. I mean, everything the user installs on it. You know, everything, uh, every yes. single thing. It's like, so all these layers of complexity and mm-hmm. apps and what developers can do and what you can do to like tinker with your system. It's like, you got to deal with that. How do you keep that secure? So you say, okay, that's not going to be secure, but what is going to be secure is this security chip, which is going to have this exact system on it. And we know what goes on and every, every change to it is well thought out and tested. Right. And, right. you know, so that's probably the, that's probably the way to do it. Cool. So for um, Ain't It Cool, I'm just going to transition yeah. right into yet more mundane, uh, random hardware stuff. Uh, this is one of those uh, uh, things where, I don't know, I got tickled by this. So I'm a bad laptop owner. I, I am, I, I take, I do exactly the wrong thing with your laptop. And you can probably guess what that is. I leave it plugged in all the time, right? It's- That's not bad. That's, you're supposed to do that. I teach people to do that. Do you? Well, yeah. Macs, Macs are apparently smarter than than my Dell. Maybe, maybe. Be, yeah. Because they don't do anything. From what I've seen, I've not found anything that will allow you to control or condition the battery. Uh, it basically keeps it fully charged the entire time. And that is that shortens the battery lifespan. So after two and a half years of essentially being plugged in, except for the occasional times when indeed I run it off of battery, the uh, the lifespan the, the the lifetime the the usable lifetime of the battery went from hours to minutes to the point where you know I had it with me out somewhere and I turned it on and it said battery full and I started doing something and within a couple of minutes it said oh critical battery low save your work and shut down how how old was the battery it's a two and a half year old laptop two and a oh okay yeah yeah it's a That's two and a half year old not, Dell XPS fifteen. Um, love the machine. It was actually, I was using it as my, uh, no, it might be three years old, but it was, uh, I was using it actually as a primary machine for some time. So it's actually quite beefy and not something I want to necessarily just, you know, turn around and get rid of or replace. So I, as I have done with Dell's before, I replaced the battery. Hmm. Uh, I ordered a replacement uh, on Amazon, of course, for you know forty-five or fifty bucks. There were uh, other replacement batteries, you know, the same thing for one hundred and fifty. So it's definitely one of those cases where you want to do a little bit of shopping around 
You also need to judge your own requirements because sometimes they would give you kits that included the screwdrivers necessary to open the case, um, which is the case that I had with uh, when I replaced a, uh, a MacBook Pro some years ago. Uh, I've replaced some component inside the MacBook Pro and got a, a kit from the vendor that had everything I needed. Um, and uh, sometimes you'll get instructions, sometimes you won't. I didn't bother. I'm assuming that the instructions were on the Dell website, but um, this was like the simplest case. It's you know way too many screws that are way too small, but yeah. when you remove them all, the back cover comes off. And then the battery is there and it's got another way too many screws and they're all way too small. And when you take them off, the battery pops out and I was able to replace it with its, uh, with a new one and all is good to go. Anyway, I just thought that was cool. I know that that is um, not something that everybody is, uh, you know, up for, uh, but I think it is well worth noting that some computer manufacturers, at a minimum, at least make it possible. And in this case, this was probably about the easiest scenario other than actually having a removable battery, probably about the easiest scenario I can envision. And I was quite pleased to have that happen. Yeah. A lot of, you know, Max, of course, and Apple products, they've started placing the batteries like in all the empty spaces. So there's not even one coherent battery right. or it's an odd shape or whatever. It's nearly impossible to do it on your own. Uh, Max do in fact, you know, if you left it plugged in, it would recognize that and not have it charged 100. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, even if you say plug it in every night and you unplug it in the morning and use it around all day, it'll it'll kind of uh, figure it out and do things like, oh, I'm unplugged every day at 7 a.m., so I'm going to charge to 90 percent at uh, and then wait till 6 a.m. Oh, huh? And then, and then charge to 100 percent. I like it. And then I'll be ready like for it. the day. Yeah. So it does stuff like that. And I it, wish, you know, I wish my machine did that. I really do. Yeah. I wish it was. A, and also, you know, I'm used to, uh, of all things, the car, right? I've got the Tesla. And one of the things they, uh, they do in the user interface is you specify a maximum charge percentage. Mm. And the only time I ever charge it to a hundred percent is if I'm about to go on a long trip. Otherwise, I leave it right. floating at around 80%. That's plenty for the kind of stuff that I do. And presumably, the battery will last longer as a result. Yeah. The uh, I wonder, also, you said it was a souped-up laptop, too. Did, mm-hmm. I wonder, you might not have been able to tell, like, just by using it, like, with the keyboard and all. But I wonder if it got really hot underneath. Because I know heat is a big, even if you're not using the battery. Right. Um, you know, just... Having it say, oh, it's off at night, and it's like, oh, I'm room temperature now, and then you use it during the day, and and the processor and the GPU is heating it up, and now it's suddenly warm in there, and then so the battery is expanding and contracting. Certainly and, possible. It's yeah. not something that I'd expect. It's in a. It's. I definitely. It's funny. I ran across this earlier this week with one of my uh, one of my readers. Uh, that one of the worst places to use your laptop is on your lap, because yeah. it tends to block the fan that is underneath. Yes. In my case, the laptop is almost always used on a desk where there's plenty of, of room for the air to flow. The times that I've noticed it get really hot have been really frustrating. I will turn the machine off, I think, <laughs> throw it in my backpack, and then get to where I'm going and pull out this really, really warm laptop. Oh, yeah. Because it's in been in the backpack doing something. It wasn't completely off or, or whatever. I still don't know what... Um, uh, what causes that? 
So uh, I don't know that did that only happened like a, you know maybe two three times. I don't know that that alone would would necessarily kill a battery that quickly, but that's the only time I've actually seen you know can identify real heat being an issue for the machine. Anyway, we'll see how long it lasts. Now that I've got it, and I'm gonna you know see if I can run it off battery for a few hours actually tonight and uh, go from there. Cool. Um, see, for me, I uh, I reread a book this week. Uh, did you ever read uh, William Gibson's Neuromancer? Boy, I don't remember to be honest. It's it's uh, I mean it's you know considered the first uh, cyberpunk novel, right? And is kind of the first place that the word cyberspace appeared. Actually, it was in a short story before then of his. You know, and the short story kind of led to him writing this book, but yeah, is where the term cyberspace comes from. It's 1980. Oh, was it 82 or 84? Early 80s, and it's a very weird book to read. I'd read it years ago and then I decided to reread it. And uh, it's odd. It's an odd book by reading it today in 2021, because in some ways, if you keep in mind what he wrote it, some of the stuff is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like you would, you just how we, you know, computers and networks and, you know, kind of a future like that. Just incredible to think that, you know, he foresaw that. In other ways, though, uh, it's kind of like it totally misses the mark on the future from that point, because um, there's basically there's an Internet. There's no web. None. Okay. Nothing. So, you know, the idea of all the world's data and computers being connected and everything. Oh, yeah, totally done. And as a matter of fact, a whole virtual reality construct that those that know how to access it can get into. Uh, But uh, no, no way to like, you know, go to like Wikipedia or buy something from Amazon or any of that stuff. That's all. <laughs> that's not there. Matter of fact, there's no mobile phones either. Huh. So you end up like, you know, reading about like jacking in and, you know, virtually going from like, you know, server to server and, and, you know, constructs being represented as like things that you have to interact with. Uh, but the whole time saying that, oh, yes, something about our modem uplink, <laughs> you know, and just being like, okay, how, how the connection is actually getting done is all very 1980s. Right. Um, so it's a very weird book to read uh, about, um, you know, uh, uh, just from a 2021 perspective. But I guess it's one of its biggest things is, and there was actually a really interesting afterward written about it uh, that, that comes with the audiobook, um, is that it's the book that a lot of computer people read in the 80s when right. they were just sitting on you know with their apple twos or like you know terminals to right. mainframes and they read this book and said this is cool let's make this <laughs> <laughs> and it inspired like a lot of people to do a lot of things that led to kind of the modern internet um because it's like we want to have that we want to have that thing that was talked about in neuromancer you know so yeah it, it, it's an interesting, interesting read. Good story, uh, despite the fact it's very bizarre. You just have to really like everything before that time is very, you know, quaint classic science fiction. You right. know, sleek spaceships, colonies yes. on Mars, that kind of deal. And and shortly after this, everything seems very much modern. You know, people have mobile, you know, the mobile phones or things that are, you know, the successors to mobile phones or, and there's the internet and all that stuff. And this kind of book, this book falls like right in that point in between where there's some cool stuff in there and it seems really modern yet 
yet it doesn't have the things that you would expect to find in a book like this. So anyway, I was just reading the synopsis of the book and no, I've not read it, which is kind of surprising given its timing and, and my interests. So I'll yeah. have to throw that on a pile somewhere. Yeah. So the closest thing to advertising here is, of course, our own blatant self-promotion. My article that I'd love for people to spend some time with this time is Seven Signs of Fishing to Watch For. It's askleo.com slash 136589. It's literally a friend asked me to have a look at an email that they'd received because it kind of looked legitimate, Mm. but of course it wasn't. And I realized that my process of examining that email and the kinds of things that I looked at could be quite instructive. So I actually snagged that email with their person's permission, uh, of course, blurred out any anything personal, but uh, and then walk through all the things that are wrong with it when you know where to look. And I think that that's really an important skill that a lot of people need to uh, need to hone. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I'd always be suspicious. Um, for me, uh, I'll ju- I promised, uh, you know, the iPhone, iOS 15 new things. So I, I actually, uh, my first video on that is from Tuesday this week. I actually have another one coming out on Friday this week. And uh, so I'll link to the, the first one of those, but it's easy enough to find the second one once that is out. Mm-hmm. So cool. cool. All righty. Well, I think that wraps us up for this week. Yep. Oh, I forgot to do that thing where I was going to go. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, actually, what if I what if I just did the, the, the low tech thing, right? Really super low tech. I just took a picture of my screen uh-huh. <laughs> and um, there we go. And then immediately went to it. Oh, dog. Good. Type of dog. Come on. Come on. Give me the. <laughs> it's thinking. It knows it's a dog. It's sure that it's just, can it go beyond that? So I wonder, is it like uploading the image and having, you know, some service? No, it's processing it's, it's local. Oh, here we go. It is. Come on. Results. Da, da, da. Well, a, oh, and a spam call comes in right at that moment. Okay. <laughs> that was funny. It came up with a, a type of Corgi. It was a pet Pembroke Welsh Corgi. Wow. Is that nailed right? it. That nailed it. Really? Wow. Yes. As always, the show notes will be at tehpodcast.com slash teh143. If you've got a comment or a question for us, you can hit us up there or at Facebook or Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening, as always. And I think we're going to be off again next week, but we should be yep. back the week thereafter. Sounds Thanks, good. everybody. Take care. All right. Bye.